While We're Working is the show that helps people who empower people at work. Whether you're HR pro, leader of a business, or you really just want to get it right when you lead the team that you're working with, you're going to find something valuable in this show. As always, I'm Joy Price, one of the hosts here at While We Were Working, and I'm joined by our awesome co-host, Summer Keetron, Consulting Practice Manager here at Jumpstart. What's up, Summer? How you doing? <laughs> hey, Joey. Happy 4th. Are you yes. doing anything fun and exciting with the family? With the family, we're going to get out and spend some time probably watching the fireworks outside. So looking forward to that happening. And I just got a new addition to the family. So we got a boat. I want to spend as much time out there as possible, making new memories and just meeting new friends out there. So we're going to have some fun this fourth. What about you? Yeah, I love that. Be safe out there. I know the fourth on the water can be a little bit crazy in all yeah. areas. <laughs> I, I'm just laying low. I'm just going to use the time to catch up on things around the house that it just seems like there's never enough time to do. But that's always great when we get them done. You can look back and say, wow, I really put that I really put that day to use. And then yeah. maybe cook something on the grill and celebrate in a small way. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, look, we've got a really great show for you all today. We are talking about the uh, state of women at work. There was a Deloitte survey that just launched, and we're going to talk about some of the trends, topics, and observations from an HR standpoint and how that might impact your organization. We also have in our consultants quarter a very interesting question that came from a customer of ours. They wanted to know about demographic data, the do's, the don'ts, and the tricky gray area that comes with that. So we've got a really great show for you today. Summer, let's go ahead. Ladies first, let's kick off while we are working and talk about the Deloitte survey. Uh, Let's get into it. If you uh, follow Deloitte, you know that they put out a handful of surveys each year. And there was one that they started a couple of years back. I think it's in its third year. And it's called Women at Work. And it's a global outlook survey, which I love reading because it gives you a glimpse of some of the trends that they're starting to monitor and really dives into um, specific areas that I think are applicable to all companies. So whether you're a large or small company, whether you have one location or you're global, there's always some takeaways for everybody in it. And so I thought that it would be really cool to talk about it today and just share some of our thoughts and, and maybe encourage others to go out and check out the full article because it's about, I think it's 39 pages of really awesome content. Yeah. And so 39 pages, you likely haven't had the time to take a look if you're listening to our pod. So that's why we go through and share the the good things of it. It's interesting. We'll talk about this survey in, in more detail. I remember having conversations with executives in HR tech who were women and just what they had experienced and faced pre-pandemic 
the opportunity that came and the woosaw that happened during the pandemic because you mm-hmm. can work from home and that came with some of its uh, opportunities and benefits. And then now with this return to office, mm-hmm. there being mixed feelings about that. And I just want to talk about a little bit of the data and share the stories there. When we talk about the most important thing, which I think impacts everyone, but here when it talks about burnout and stress, mm-hmm. it actually looks like more women experienced less burnout than previously. 28% of uh, the surveyors and uh, those surveyed in 2023 mm-hmm. said they feel burnout versus 46% in the last iteration mm-hmm. and only a slight change in stress level from where they were a year ago, mm-hmm. uh, 51% down from 53. But I think that's overall a, a good sign less burnout is good summer it's definitely a small it's definitely a small change but i think any change is a step in the right direction if you think about what everybody's been through the past few years but you started to talk a little bit about how the pandemic and that experience and the experience post pandemic has affected women very differently. And I I think it really comes down to, and and the survey touches on it, that the majority of the primary caregivers and individuals that have, who bear the majority of home responsibilities falls on women. So if you think about that freedom that individuals who were able to work from home gained with that flexibility to manage those responsibilities a little better in some cases. In others, it was more challenging because they had now maybe young children at home who were trying to homeschool. Regardless, there's been this roller coaster. And so it's great to me to see that there's been some improvements in some areas, but I do think there's still such a long road ahead before we can make the change that's truly necessary. And I think starting to analyze the data is really the first step. So you know what work still needs to be done. Yeah, maybe we we could make this practical from a standpoint of some of the conversations that you're hearing with some of our clients. Do you think that this data is lining up with what you're hearing in those conversations? A couple things really do stand out to me. One is the emphasis on mental health as a whole. I think it's always been a topic, but it's really been something that has come front and center uh, for the conversations I've had over really the past two to three years. And it's also organizations wanting to find out how can they specifically change some of their policies and their practices to allow greater flexibility and to support women who have what we talked about, those additional home responsibilities, that stress, and finding out not only what type of internal leaves, pay time off programs, benefit enhancements to their existing programs, really thinking about what that looks like for them to just add those extra layers of support. Yeah. Yeah. Now that that's helpful. That's helpful to know because 
sometimes there's the tale of two cities almost, right? There's what we see in the statistical research world. And then there's what we're seeing actually playing out in practice. And it sounds like there's a, a bit of an overlap between what we're seeing with our clients and then what the study bubbles up. I'd, I'd love to, to take this moment and, and talk about Whole Self Thursdays and what we're doing with the mental health standpoint. And mm-hmm. every month we've got this great programming led by Taryn on our consulting team where we are opening up opportunities for people to come in and learn and grow and build in their mental health, financial health, you, you name it. And similar to the study saying companies are trying to do the right thing by people and in, in their mental health, we're also doing that too. And so mm-hmm. we've got a growing catalog of Whole Self Thursday content that, mm-hmm. that we continue to record and, and send out. Everybody's got to play their, everybody's got to play their part. What other pieces are you seeing on the survey that stood out that you think our audience should know? (laughs) I'd say, and I feel like we've talked about this on so many episodes, but it's so relevant and I feel like we can't talk about it enough. And that was in the survey, the lack of flexibility in working hours is actually driving women to quit. So think about the things that we've already talked about on today's show, the stress, the additional responsibilities at home. And it, it was really interesting to me that the survey said flexible working is a critical expectation for the women in our survey and a top factor in their career decisions, but yet less than a quarter of the women who say they had a high degree of flexibility over where and when they work actually lacked flexibility around working hours. So think about that because... <clears throat> We have a couple clients who have really taken this to heart lately, Mm -hmm. and some of the changes that they've implemented that their team member, that their team members have really embraced and praised them for, one of them has done a reduced work week. So typically the typical schedule is around 40 hours. They've said ours is 35 and they're even contemplating going to a four day work week, but still maintaining an eight hour day, which would be 32 hours. So I thought that's really awesome. They're also a global organization, Joey, Mm -hmm. and they've given a lot of freedom to their team members because they're not really, they're not really like customer facing per se Mm -hmm. to say that they have a great degree of the hours that they do their work. So they've built some core hours so that you can anticipate having some overlap with your fellow teammates at certain times. But other than that, they're free to perform their work any other time that works well for them during the work week. And if you look at the survey and that women are quitting because they're lacking that flexibility, it's a huge win for them. Yeah, I've always been a proponent of just get the work done by the deadline. And the what matters more than the how, because we're all very different, whether it's our schedules, whether it's even, we, we talked about mental health, but like even our neurodiversity. And there's so many factors that can change what's a sweet spot for someone to get their work done. Mm-hmm. And I think we should all be more open and available to letting responsible adults dis- determine when they can get their work done. 
the another thing that, that stood out to me on this in this article is there were stark differences uh, that I saw. One being a, a pretty imbalance, as you mentioned, with with childcare and who's responsible for young dependents. Mm-hmm. But there was almost an there was a, a equal split uh, when it came to caring for older dependents. So maybe grandparents or uncles or aunts. And we often don't have that conversation enough about each generation experiencing that moment where they're the sandwich generation, where they've got to care for those uh, below them, as well as those who may have cared for them in years past. And so I think as employers, we have to remember that our people, when they show up for work and when they clock out, there's a whole world of things that are top of mind for them. And mm-hmm. it's not just getting things done by deadline. It's as much, I hope my kid is doing well in school, as much as I hope the nurses are taking care of my aging parent. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of emotions tied up into that. There's Financially tied up in that, all of that. Just making sure that we're empowering our people to make good decisions, giving them the time to do that as well. So you that, some, that stood yeah, out to me. You make some really great points, and and I I'm glad that you mentioned that because these are conversations that team members are coming to us as HR consultants for. They're bearing their soul. They're telling us about the the stress and the responsibilities and. We've talked about on the show the whole the concept of supporting the whole person, not just the worker. And I, I think it really comes down to that. In this survey, something that I thought was really, really sad, really unfortunate, really an area that we definitely need to, as HR professionals, business leaders, managers, I think take a a stronger approach to helping with is creating that relationship, that layer of trust so that your team feels comfortable coming to you, talking about these things, because the more that we know, the more that we're in a better position to support them. In the survey, when we talk about women who wanted flexibility around their working hours, it mentions that one in three actually left their employer due to the lack of flexibility. But here's the shocker. Of those, 97% believed that if they asked for flex, flexible work, it could adversely impact their chances for promotion. And that to me is, it's really disappointing it's really disappointing because it tells me that they're willing to leave their employer and they didn't feel like if they asked for what they genuinely needed, that they could and that it would be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I, I'm sure there are quite a few people who are listening to this and maybe they feel that that same sentiment mm-hmm. about where they're working. And to that, I would say, don't hesitate to ask, but also if there is room to be a positive change agent. I I always believe that culture can be changed from the inside out. Mm -hmm. So if it's not a good idea to ask for flexibility today, maybe take inventory and say, what would that look like to ask for that flexibility uh, Mm -hmm. in the future? And how can I how can I be a part of that? I, I know we could go on and on about this, but I'll give you some some parting 
thoughts if you want to talk about uh, this and, and tie it up, and then we can jump into Consultants Corner. I actually would. So thanks for that opportunity, because when you talk about driving change and how to actually do it, I've seen this happen around uh, like work expectations and flexibility. So a number of years back, I worked for an organization that when I joined, it was what I call hustle culture, right? Mm -hmm. Like the person who works the longest hours, who puts in the greatest effort, who gives up the biggest piece of their life for work was like the best, the best worker. We've learned that's not true. And to change that culture, what we started to do was actually ask the leaders of the organization to actually demonstrate the behaviors that we want the team members to replicate. So what that meant was don't stay in the office till 10. Don't send emails all hours of the night. And when you take vacation, actually take vacation. Mm -hmm. Because what you're doing is you're showing your team, this is okay to do, and I'm going to do it too. So yeah. I think that the takeaway here is if you are truly supportive of flexibility then you need to demonstrate that to your team so that they can see that's okay too. Yeah. And and that's easier. I don't say it's easier said than done, but it is incredibly important to do it because to your point, if you really care about people, you should, they should be able to take time off and not feel <laughs> like they have to work. Hey, but... listen, Joey, if you want <laughs> to send emails all weekend long, that's cool. Just schedule them to land on Monday. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. You stole my trick. You stole my <laughs> trick. But all right, cool. We'll jump into Consultant's Corner here. And Consultant's Corner, this is where we talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, and all things in between that we see when it comes to running HR and empowering, empowering people in the uh, groups that we serve. And so this week, I believe it was actually Summer might have had a conversation with a client a couple of weeks back, and they were asking about demographic data, things like age, gender, race, veteran status, so on and so forth. And so the question was, we want to collect optional demographic data such as disability, status, race, ethnicity, gender identity, veteran status, et cetera, as an optional field in our HRIS system. What do you think about this? Summer, since they asked you, I think you should go first. <laughs> yeah, first I was glad that they asked because this is an organization whose the majority of their HR support team is actually not US-based. And so we started to have more conversations about, hey, let's just calibrate to make sure that what's acceptable in another country is acceptable here. So yep. I was glad that we had the conversation because some of the key takeaways were that the practices do vary and also the standards for the data collection. Like when you think about if you've ever, and, and I'm certain everybody has, if you've completed the census or any sort of optional uh, form during an application, you know that like the race and ethnicity are standard options that you see the same options consistently. They're not just made up on a whim. So in short, we had a conversation first about what is the data intended to be used for. And we were able to determine that it, it was 
primarily for two purposes. One was going to be an anonymous survey so that they could start to take feedback from a variety of surveys and slice the data to see if there were certain segments of their population who were having higher or lower ratings as a result of whatever they were asking. And then the second piece was wanting to place optional fields in their HR information system that the employees could go in if they so choose to complete. So there's two different things we were tackling. Mm-hmm. And so the, the tricky thing about demographic data is, to your point, Summer, like you, you can do quite a bit of good when you know um, your your team. And obviously data helps us make really good decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just such a tricky thing because on one end, there is the federal contracting space where, or in government contracting in general, where it's very important, especially if you're a certain size, um, it's important and, and mandatory that you track the demographic data of applicants so that you can show your um, processes are equitable and are not producing what's called a disparate uh, impact or where people are not getting jobs in your organization from different demographic spaces. So on one end and in one circumstance, it's required. But in other circumstances, there can be gray area, there could be harm. It's all in the execution and it's all in, yeah, it's all in the execution. But what are your deeper thoughts? I know we were talking about this before the show and you you were pretty excited about this conversation. So yeah, where does the group go if they're listening to this and they're like, yeah, we should be tracking data, but we're afraid of getting it wrong. What should they do? What should they do somewhere? Sure. There's a couple of things that come to mind. First, we were talking about the companies who have a requirement to collect that EEO data and report on it. And sometimes the question I get is, even if we're not required, should we? And my answer is, well, of course, yes. Because if you're even if you're not required, don't you want that data to be able to evaluate internally your own processes to see if there's an opportunity for you to do better? So that kind of tackles that piece. And I'm a huge advocate, Joey, of let's start to collect some of this optional demographic data, but only if you intend to do good with it. So that is doing regular surveys and collecting the data and then taking the time to analyze it and then having a clear path of action and communicating that to your team. Because I'll tell you what, If you collect this information and you're asking your team to share, even confidentially through a survey, some of their most personal details, if you're not reporting back what you're doing with it and showing that you're doing something meaningful, your team's not likely going to share it. And then what good is just a slice of information going to do for you? Yeah. Yeah. And and so I, I think of some of the good that can be done from collecting this sort of data. I think one example is I, I think about pay equity. Mm-hmm. And if we're able to identify people in different demographic categories, making sure that compensation isn't unbalanced for one demographic group versus another. Mm-hmm. I could think of affinity or resource groups that could be created and started and championed 
because a population exists within your organization that maybe you didn't know about from from a disabilities perspective maybe that even factors in things like your the the workplace design and uh, how you shape uh, the place of work or if people are working remotely the tools that they have to reasonable accommodations to support them. So there's a lot of good you can do from the data and it all um, mm-hmm. gets back to empowering people to uh, give their best and get their best mm-hmm. from work. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And one of the things that I wanted to add was we've talked a little bit about capturing data anonymously and capturing it through a survey to be used for analyzing some results and creating a plan But part of the kind of the second piece of the question that this client asked when I talked about they wanted to collect this data within their HR system, which would be tied to a record, and it was going to be voluntary, which meant if you didn't want to put it, no problem. But if you did, there was a space for you to report on any of those items that you mentioned, Joey, and then even a few more. And when I started to talk to the team about this, I said, listen, I totally get this is a progressive organization that your intention is good. But here's my concern. First of all, several of the uh, data items, for example, disability, it's against the law for a company to ask uh, about somebody's disability status. Of course, there's situations we've talked about engaging in the interactive process and Mm -hmm. there's there are some exceptions, but by and large, you shouldn't be asking somebody, do you have a disability? Mm-hmm. So as we started to walk through these different data points that they wanted to collect, more and more of them were like, it's against the law to ask. And it's okay. Even though it's optional, you're still asking. So do you really want to walk that line? But the real concern for me was, <clears throat> let's just say that somebody puts down in their profile that they have a disability or maybe they put down in their profile that that they are using different pronouns than what people know them as or maybe they put down that they I don't know they put something in their profile that could potentially if used in a manner other than intended could pose a risk to the organization. And I think that's ultimately where I was like, oh gosh, I don't know if this is a good idea because let's just say things go south with that team member and you have to part ways with them. And that team member says, oh, you only fired me because of something in their profile. Now we have a problem to deal with that we wouldn't have had to otherwise. Yeah. And you, you hit the nail on the head about it being tied to a record and you would even have to ask who has access to that record. Mm-hmm. And obviously a manager is a most likely going to be able to access a person's uh, personnel file mm-hmm. with the level of access that would share that data. And so it could be very tricky giving people that level of access. So from an HRIS standpoint, it's probably not the, first of all, consult with us case-by-case basis because every state is different counties jurisdictions you name it there could be different laws Mm -hmm. depending on where you are we're not giving legal advice we're just saying these are the things you might want to check before you roll it out Mm -hmm. and instead of an hris maybe we do that on a a survey Mm -hmm. something where the data 
the aggregate data is only shared with the people who it's meant to be shared with. Mm-hmm. I think that solid advice really where we landed the conversation with the client was okay to collect via anonymous survey, optional anonymous survey, not recommended to place this information in your HRIS. However, if there are certain items that you feel very compelled to track in your HRIS, then have that conversation with your legal team. And if they give you the thumbs up, they'd be the ones to have to help you defend a claim, then that's a decision they can certainly make. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right. We've had a great episode, State of Women at Work by Deloitte. And tracking demographic data at work, the do's and don'ts. So this has been another episode of While We Were Working, where we help empower people who empower people at work. (laughs) Check out our growing library of podcasts and find us wherever you get your podcasts, as well as YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and we'll be in touch. Have a great and safe 4th of July and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone.